Good morning, Christ Community Church. That's not bad with the chill in the air and everything. That's not too bad, but let's try it again because it's tradition. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Awesome. See how it is? You guys are so much better the second time around. Fantastic. Well, last night was weird. I got a complaint last night after my sermon that I've never gotten before. Um, we were done, we left, and then Bev Clark came up and told me I needed to go five minutes longer because I was cutting promised land short. And so she was like, you, you needed to preach longer. I'm like, I don't know what else to add to the sermon, you know? I don't know what to tell you. It is what it is. So let's see here. How y'all doing? <laughs> All right. How are the Bengals going to do tonight? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. All right. That's really all I got. I don't know what else to do. I don't, I'm not going to skate land. I ain't, there's no way I'm going to skate land. Are you kidding me? I didn't skate when I was a teenager. It's not going to happen now. All right. Well, at least now I'll only be four minutes short. All right, so... The Kingdom of God, we are kicking off a new series, um, and I think it's a critical one because it, you really cannot understand the Bible, you cannot understand Christianity if you do not have a good understanding of what Jesus meant when he said the Kingdom of God. And if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I mean, he's talking about the Kingdom all the time. But, unfortunately... Most churches have done a really poor job of explaining what that means. And because of that, we've had all kinds of problems. For example, um, a few years ago, a sociologist at Notre Dame University, a guy by the name of Christian Smith, wrote a book called Souls in Transition. And in that, what he had done is he went out and he interviewed you know, a lot of people, especially people 18 to like 35. And he asked them, what do you think the Christian faith is all about? And what he ended up, he kind of ended up coming up with a term. He said, basically what they think is that Christianity is moralistic, therapeutic, therapeutic deism. And what that means is, if you look at your handout, here's how it broke down. They're under the impression that Christianity is, number one, about keeping rules. That you keep the rules. You don't drink. You don't smoke, you don't cuss, you don't do drugs, you don't watch R-rated movies except for The Passion of the Christ, right? That's what they think Christianity is first and foremost about, behavior modification. Number two, that Christianity is about feeling good about yourself. And why wouldn't they think that when the church has been, the church all over North America has been guilty of preaching and teaching typically over and over again how to, how to sermons, how to do this, how to do that, how to this, how to that. And pastors have gone, I was just talking about to someone out there drinking some coffee and, and, and was talking about this, you know, for, from the time that um, you have Christianity recognized as an official religion by Constantine, Emperor Constantine, all the way up until the, through the 19th century, Christian pastors were usually the most well-educated people in a community, and they were considered the community's resident intellectuals. Over the last hundred or some years, pastors have become like resident therapists. 
right? People come to me for one of two reasons. The first is, I don't understand what this is in the Bible. Explain it to me. And they want a real quick bumper sticker slogan answer. Number two, I'm depressed. Fix it. That's what they want you to do. Fix it. You know, and I always try to send them off to a professional counselor because I am not a professional counselor. I worked for a professional counselor, so I know a lot of that stuff. I've read a lot of that stuff, but I am not a professional counselor. Pastors have been for too long taught and preached that Christianity is all about feeling good. And if you turn on TV, you turn on Christian radio, you can hear a lot of that. The only problem with that is that's unbiblical. That's simply not true. Absolutely not true. But that's what most people think. Number three, there's a God, but he's far away, and he's not really interested in the minor details of my life. It's kind of a deistic God. Deism is just like God started it all, you know, he wound it up, and then he's been sitting back and he's just waiting, waiting for the rapture or whatever, and he's not really doing anything. That's what most people think. That's why they call it moralistic, therapeutic deism. It's all about rules. It's all about feeling good. God is there, but he doesn't really care and doesn't get really that involved. And then we wonder why they walk away from the faith. Right? That's not what Christianity is at all. We do not keep rules. We respond to the grace we've been given and show love and gratitude. That's different. This is not about feeling good. It's about serving well. God is not far away, and he does care. He is here. He is in the midst of you. He is, if you're a Christian, he actually dwells within you. Part of him dwells within you. He is always active anywhere and everywhere. And if you don't know that, I apologize. I have failed you. You need to know that. Everyone around you needs to know that that that's what Christianity is about. The Bible teaches Christianity, one of the centers of Christianity is this thing called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And all that means is the kingdom of God is the reign of Jesus Christ over all creation. Wherever you see the kingdom of God, you see Jesus reigning. And when Jesus reigns, he reigns as Lord and King, which means he calls all the shots and in every area of life. If you call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, every single area of your life is to be submitted to Jesus Christ. Now, none of us do that well, and sometimes that gets complicated, but that's what the kingdom of God is about. When Jesus comes around, he says, the kingdom of God is here. He doesn't mean, as some people, because some people think the kingdom of God means this perfect state. But when he says the kingdom of God is here, he means I'm here. Because you cannot separate the king from the kingdom. And what does Jesus do when he's walking around the gospel? You ever notice that he's walking around and he's, he's healing people, he's throwing out demon critters, he's, he's teaching people, he's loving people, he's feeding people. Why? That's the kingdom of God. That's what it looks like. Now, it is true that Jesus adds members of his kingdom primarily through evangelism, through this preaching of the gospel. That when you share the gospel with people, that that's how they come to faith, 
And then when a person comes to faith and submits their life to Jesus Christ, they are added to the kingdom. But that's not all the kingdom is. And by the way, if you do not know what the gospel is, the Apostle Paul did us all a kindness by basically writing one of the best verses in the Bible, just really shorthands the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's break that down. God, Father, Spirit, made him. Who's the him? Jesus. Yeah, nine times out of ten, the pastor asks you a question. It's always, the answer is always Jesus, right? God made Jesus, who had no sin. He lived a sinless life. He was tempted in every way, but he lived a sinless life. To be sin for us, that means to take the penalty for all of our sins, all the sins we have done, all the sins we are doing, all the sins we will do. He takes the punishment for all of those if we place our faith in him. All of them. So there is no punishment at the end of time for those who have faith in him. That we might be, that in him, because as a Christian you're united to Jesus Christ, in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I hate that righteousness of God because that's misleading. Because when people see righteousness, they think self-righteous, all that kind of stuff. It's got bad connotations. What, in Greek, what that means is we might become in right relationship with God. That we are in right standing with God. That is a much better and accurate translation. How do we get into right standing? By being united with Jesus Christ, because what is true of Jesus becomes true of us. He lived a sinless life, not just so he could be a perfect sacrifice, but also so that he gives you that sinless life. Once you have faith in him, he gives you that so that you are judged by that life instead of your own. And that's why we call it good news. No punishment, judged by Jesus' life. Awesome. Awesome. And when people come to understand that, when that invades their mind and their heart, they're added to the kingdom of God. But people coming into faith is not all that the kingdom of God is due. When I first became a Christian, back in 1997, after a health scare, I thought that, just like most people do today, that Christianity was about keeping the rules, feeling good, acknowledging there's a God out there somewhere, and inviting people to church. And that was the kingdom of God. And that, and that there's, being a Christian had absolutely nothing to do with the rest of your life. Had nothing to do with your work. Had nothing to do with your hobbies, your art, your finances. Nothing. You went to church on Sunday during the week, if you ran into somebody that didn't go to church, you invited him to church, you tried to be a good little boy or girl, and you waited to be raptured out of this trailer park. And that's it. And I was wrong. That is not what the kingdom of God is about. Now, we can blame Martin Luther for this. Martin Luther, God bless his heart, a brilliant man, but a bit of a whack job. Uh, if you don't believe me, read some biographies of Luther. Luther had visions of Satan himself appearing to him every night. And he would respond to this among various ways by throwing his chamber pot at him. Do you know what's in a chamber pot? 
I'm pretty sure the worst job that ever existed was being Martin Luther's maid the morning after he had conversations with the devil. <laughs> That's George. Um, So Martin was brilliant, but he was a little strange, and one of the bad ideas he had was this thing that's been come to know as kind of the two kingdoms model. So this two kingdoms model is basically what I'm talking about. Martin Luther said, yeah, you, you know, you, you, you come to understand the gospel, you respond in grace by not becoming a drunk, you know, all that kind of stuff, you don't, and, and, and you know, you go to church, and, and he said, but there's no such thing as a Christian, you know, a Christian plumber. There's no such thing as a Christian electrician. There's no such thing as a Christian lawyer. Some of you are saying, duh. And you should repent for that. Shame on you. He's saying that, you know, outside of in your, in your normal work life, if you're a politician or whatever, you do what you have to do, man. God doesn't care about that stuff. Luther believed that. Luther was wrong. He was absolutely, positively wrong. Once you come into the kingdom, once you bring someone to the faith, they get the gospel, they hear the gospel, they say, yes, I want that. I want to place my faith in Jesus Christ. And they come here, and, you know, and we, we bring them back there, and we baptize them, and then, you know, the praise band plays some tear-jerky song while they go back there, and we dry them off. Then they come down and sit in the chair. When they come down, they're dried off in their baptism, and they come and sit in one of those chairs. Are they supposed to just wait for the rapture? Nope. Not according to the Bible in both the Old and New Testaments. What does it mean to be a person of the kingdom. Now, we're going to go back to Genesis 1. It, it probably, if, you, you know, if you've been a Christian any time, it doesn't surprise you that the Bible starts off saying God made it, right? It, it, we talked about that this morning in, in, in my class. There is scientific evidence that, that the universe had a beginning. We believe God did it. In the meantime, God created everything. Heavens, earth, God created everything. Which, by the way, means it's his, not yours. He owns it. We're all renting. Understand? And Jesus will come back one day, and he will reign over it as king over all of it perfectly. Jesus is king. We are not. This is his creation. And within his creation, he makes the rules. And good servants look to their king to see how they should serve him. And when you serve a king, you serve a king wholly and totally. You don't just serve a king over here and not over here. Every area of your life is submitted to your king within his creation. And it's always been that way. Genesis 1, 26 through 31. A lot of you are not going to like this, but this is the way it is from the very beginning. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Now, that does not mean appearance-wise, right? It's not, it, it's, he's not saying that they're going to have bodies like, that, that God has a material body like us. That, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about attributes that we have, like the fact that we can think and reflect. We are the only beings that we know of in the entire universe that think and reflect on things like our mortality, 
we all can sit and reflect upon the fact that one day we are going to die. Right? You know this, right? I'm not telling you anything new. You know? This week I hope to hit my goal of losing 60 pounds since January. I, and once again, because five people have asked me, no, I am not sick. And I am not anorexic. I just don't eat crap and I exercise. It really is that simple, right? But let's say I continue to this. I pigged out yesterday because Saturdays I spend with my son and, and I'm always like, what do you want to do, buddy? And the first thing I was like, pizza. Okay, pizza. So, but let's say that I continue to eat right and exercise every day. What I know is that one day I'm going to get very sick and die. It's going to happen. It's going to happen to me. I am going to die. A mortician is going to put on my best suit on me, put me in a box. Some of you will come and cry. You should. <laughs> You'll miss me. And then they're going to put me in the box, and they're going to put me in the ground, and they're going to put dirt on me, and then you're going to come to the church and eat potato salad. Now, I can sit and think about this. Other creatures do not. As far as I can tell, up in Canada and Maine, a moose does not walk around contemplating its mooseness. Right? Mr. Moose is just out there. He's eating. He's going to potty in the forest, all that kind of stuff. He's walking around. He's getting torqued off at tourists. That's what he does. And then one day he just flops over and he dies. Done. We think about this. We are, we can think about this. We can create. This is what it means to be in the image and likeness of God. We think, we reflect, we create, we do. Make sense? Good. Back to Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. I'd unpack that, but there are children present. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over. I understand that. Fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, work. Now, this is Garden of Eden. He is telling Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to get to work. See, we believe, we, we think about the Garden of Eden, we think perfect. And when we think perfect, we think static, done, no need to do anything else. That's wrong. God says, I've put you in a place that I love, it is good, get to work. Work is part of what it means to serve God in his creation. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I, it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very Good. Get to work, and it's very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Work 
is part of what it means to be in the image and likeness of God, working within this creation. And it's not just farming. Don't look at that and go, oh, no, 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 God just wants us all to be farmers, and all other work is evil. Not true. Absolutely not true. We are to be kingdom people everywhere, even in our work. And it has always been this way. It was that way in the Garden of Eden. It was that way after Adam sinned, and and sin came into the world. And I'll show you. Look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, 5 through 7. Now, the nation of Judah, God's people, have been taken away to a foreign land. They are slaves to a foreign nation. And as they go, the prophet Jeremiah says, here is what you, my people, are to do within my creation. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Can't beat them, outbreed them. Also, seek the peace and prosperity. Notice this. This is a pagan land that worshiped false gods, that sacrificed children, and look at what he is saying. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Get to work, bless all people, and you too will be blessed. God's people, he's saying, go into a place that does not even recognize my authority or even my existence and work and work and work to bless them. From the Garden of Eden to exile, work, work, work. Matthew 5, 13, 16. You're going to say, oh, that's Old Testament. Well, okay. I'm going to quote Jesus to you, see if that has any effect. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, typically today what we do is we go to a restaurant, and if we, don't, if we want something to taste a little better, we take the salt shaker, and if some little kid hasn't licked it, it comes out. Right? If it's, if it's all struffed up there, that means some kid's been going, I hate to gross you out, but it's just true. Ask for another salt shaker. So when Jesus was saying this, they did not use salt that way. They used salt as a preservative. So when Jesus is saying you are the salt of the earth, he's saying you need to be that substance which keeps something from decaying into rot. That is what he is saying. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. In other words, if you're not in the culture, if you're not in my world, in God's creation, if you're not in there preventing the decay that comes from the brokenness of sin, if you're not in there doing it, what are you worth to me? I love you, but I might as well, you know, you're not doing your job. Might as well throw you out. Get to work. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. We are to be light into darkness. And you cannot be light into darkness if you're hiding from the darkness. Christian people are not supposed to hide from the world. We're supposed to work within it to redeem it for the glory and honor of God. Think about this. Where have Christians retreated from? Where do we have the least amount of influence? Hollywood? Has there been decay? Hmm? Politics? Has there been decay? 
right? Business, has there been decay? Music, the arts, have there been decay? Why? Because the people our king commanded to go and be the preservative to stop that have not done their jobs. We haven't done it. John 17, 15. Jesus again, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Do you need protection from the evil one if you're already hiding from him? Why do you need protection from the evil one? When do you come under demonic attack? When you're doing something. When you're out in the culture doing something, that's when you come under attack. Devil doesn't care about you if you're not a threat, man. Jesus says, don't, I don't want you out of the way. I do not want you to just read Christian books, just watch Christian movies, just listen to Christian music, and go sit in your bomb shelter and wait for the apocalypse. That is not what I want you to do. I want you to get out of the bomb shelter, go into the culture, and redeem it, and be salt and light. In business, politics, art, you name it. John 20, 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. How did the Father send Jesus Christ? Out into the world, working in the world, speaking to the world, healing the world, dying for the world. And that's how he sends us. And that is what the kingdom is about. Bringing people to salvation and then taking those people who have been saved out into the world to not only save others, but to redeem the entire world because it all belongs to Jesus Christ. Abraham Kuyper, over 100 years ago, wrote this. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Oh, you Christians shouldn't get involved in politics. Is that what Jesus would say? You Christians shouldn't get involved in Hollywood. Is that what Jesus would say? Doesn't seem to be. But the simple fact is, most of us take refuge in those bumper sticker slogans that we shouldn't do this, we shouldn't do that, we shouldn't get involved here because we don't want to. Let's be honest, we just don't want to. And we don't want to tick people off out there. We all want to be liked. You know, if we all took the kingdom as seriously as we should, if we really understood what it was, and all of us took the kingdom seriously, if we all took our responsibility as servants of our king within his creation seriously, do you think we could make an impact in this community, in this world? If we took it as seriously as we take other things, let me give you an example. I'm going to pick on you Buckeye fans. Just deal with it. Now, I wake up every morning, and I turn on the news, and it's usually one tragedy after another, right? Ebola, you know, school shootings, it's one thing after another. And you probably do the same thing I do, which is, oh, man, that's tragic. Now, where's my coffee? Right? Because we hear so much of it. But then, something happens like, one morning I woke up, and even before I turned to ESPN, I heard this collective sigh and gasp throughout the state of Ohio. I heard hearts breaking because Braxton Miller was out for the season. 
And when that happened, I mean, it was, people looked all day long like you had shot their dog. We have evil all around us, everywhere. And we look at it, I look at it just as guilty and go, that's such a tragedy. But then something we love and cherish and hold close to our heart, something happens there and we're like, we lose our minds. We become literally depressed. The Buckeyes aren't going to have as good a season as they should have. And people fell into like depression. If we took the kingdom of God as seriously as we took as, as, as 21-year-old boys throwing and catching a ball, what kind of impact could we have? Am I wrong? And I get it. Look, I'm preaching to myself too. I cannot wait for Kentucky basketball season. There we go. I can't wait. I got some rearranging to. The kingdom of God is the reign of Christ, and it claims every inch of our life. It claims work. It claims art. It claims politics, education, finances. Jesus gave his whole life for us. We need to respond in kind. And people are doing it and doing it well. For example, throw up some music, Mark. I don't know about you, I, I used to think I was the only person in Cider County that dug jazz. Um, back in uh, 1989, uh, when I was living in uh, Hollywood, I worked for two guys named Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. Jerry and Mike grew up listening to jazz and blues and rhythm and blues. Two white Jewish kids who, who, who really wanted to be black. And they will tell you that. And they went on to, to write um, uh, Hound Dog, Jailhouse Rock, Stand By Me by Benny King, right? Later covered by John Lennon. You know, they wrote all these songs, but what they really loved was the jazz. And this stuff would just fill the office all the time. I always knew if Jerry and Mike were in their offices because I could hear either the jazz or blues just kind of wafting down the hallway. And at first it kind of annoyed me because I thought it was like the same music they played like the dentist office, right? And But after a while, when they weren't there, I found myself that I wanted to listen to it. And I really got into it. And then years later, um, I, I watched the documentary Jazz by Ken Burns. Has anybody seen that? It's a great documentary. I really fell in love with jazz. And this is one of my favorite, this is one of, one of my favorite albums. This is from John Coltrane's A Love Supreme. Now, typically the people who love jazz are typically like elitist eggheads like me, right? Snobs. And so people would go see John Coltrane in concert, typically agnostic, atheist, deist, new agers, all that kind of stuff. And they would go and they would sit and listen to John Coltrane and he would come up, one of the most respected jazz musicians of all time. And when he was doing Love Supreme, he would sit there and talk about the reason that he wrote and produced and performed this album was to the glory and honor of God. And when he talks about the Love Supreme, he's talking about Jesus Christ's death on the cross. Is this not kingdom work? Of course it is. Of course it is. Redeeming something for the honor and glory of God. Redeeming music and doing it well. Too many Christian artists today just try to duplicate what's on top 40 radio. They don't try to do anything new. They don't try to do anything well. They just try to replicate what's already out there. 
We need to stop that. Show me a picture of uh, Mr. Kathy. Dan, Kathy. You remember the whole flap with Chick-fil-A? Pun intended? Okay. Okay, never mind. Um, I thought it was funny. Fine. Um, the man on the left is the guy who led the protest against Chick-fil-A. He is the guy who started talking about, you know, hate filet or whatever and started labeling all that because Dan Cathy had spoken out and said that he believes marriage is one man and one woman. And the reason why he's, a, he's an outspoken Christian, his dad was an outspoken Christian, and what he did was he even, the reason why Chick-fil-A's are closed on Sunday is because no matter, you cannot buy a Chick-fil-A franchise and, 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 and open it on Sunday. You can't. And the reason they do this, they want their employees to have the time to go worship. They believe that's important. They're Christian people. And the guy on the left led the protest against him. You know what he did? Mr. You know what Mr. Kathy did? He called him and said, hey, we have this thing called the Chick-fil-A Bowl. I have, you know, we have these seats, these VIP seats. I want you to be my guest, and I want you to come and sit with me. Now, he had no idea if this guy was going to come in into his VIP booth with all of these executive VPs from Chick-fil-A and start ranting and raving and yelling and screaming and you bigot this and you homophobe that. That all could have happened. You know what happened? Sat down with him, watched the game with him, talked to him. He ended up writing for the Huffington Post, the guy on the left. And you know what he said? He said, I wish I'd never started that protest. Now that I've got to know him, I consider him a friend. He's a wonderful man. Is that not kingdom work? Was he not doing kingdom work before when he was, he was you know, making these restaurants and people were making money, people were getting jobs, serving, you know, food, and, and, and people were making money, and then doing it all to the glory and honor of God by closing on Sunday? Is that not kingdom work? Of course it is. Of course it is. I grew up in the 1980s, and I was a closet geek. I was a closet geek because I did not want girls to know I was a geek. I tried to hide it. And one of the things I loved to do growing up was to read, and, and, and my mom, who is still my biggest fan, um, even though, especially in the early 80s, we had very little money, mom told me once, if you will read a book, I will always buy it. She always did. And so my room filled up with books pretty quickly, and, and she'll tell you, the person I read most often was Stephen King. Throw the picture up, Stephen King. That's Stephen King. Uh, he looks like a librarian. He's got a real high-pitched voice. He's, he's a real friendly guy, and he writes about the most horrendous things you could possibly imagine. He writes horror novels, typically. Not always. How many of you have seen the movie The Shawshank Redemption? Right? Okay, that's based on a Stephen King novella. Did you know that? It's based on his short story, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, which is in the book Different Seasons. It's inspired by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the way. Did you know that? Oh, you need eyes to see and ears to hear. Think about the story of the Shawshank Redemption. What happens to Andy Dufresne? Andy Dufresne is an innocent man among nothing but guilty men. He is the only innocent man in Shawshank Prison. Not even the guards are innocent, Right? He undergoes all this torture and pain. When he escapes, he does nothing but help people and give to people, takes the punishment for it. When he escapes, they describe it as going through hell to get to the other side. And then what does he do? He sends anonymous notes back to his friends saying, I'm here in paradise. Come see me. Come to me when you can. 
What does that sound like? Because Stephen King grew up in a Christian home. He grew up in a Methodist home. It influenced him. It was there. I don't even think he knows he, what he's doing for the kingdom, but he did it. He inspired me. I, for, I, right now, I'm trying to write a novel. Um, it's taking me a long time because um, the technical term is, I don't know what I'm doing. And, and I, I, I'm really just trying to get a rough draft done really fast and just try to get the plot down, and then I'll go back and, and fix it later. It's really skimpy on metaphors and, and stuff like that because I'm just trying to get the story down, trying to get that done, and then go back and, and, and fix it. It's, right now, it's um, poop is what it is. But I, I, I try to get it done, and, and it, it's a horror novel. It's a horror novel. There are monsters, and people die, and all this other kind of stuff. And... When it's done, if anybody ever wants to read this thing, which right now I don't even want to read it, but when it's done, what I really hope is that the people who read it are not Christians. And I hope that they pick up a horror story because they have sick, twisted minds like me, and they get into it, and they realize what I'm talking about is God. And I hope that this scary story where monsters chase people around and, and throw them around and all this other kind of stuff brings glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Because every area of our life is to be dedicated to Jesus Christ as our King and to be given to Him to help redeem what already belongs to Him. How can you do this? Because you're sitting there thinking, okay, Matt, I understand writing music for the glory of God, writing for the glory of God, preaching the gospel, feeding the poor, all that, all that stuff is great, but how do, I, how do I be like a Christian plumber? And have you met my boss? Fair enough. Now, Dad has said this from the pulpit for many years, but because he said it, you didn't hear it, so here I go. I'm going to repeat it. The way you, you are a Christian plumber or a Christian anything is you always do your work for the Lord, not your boss. You are working for God, not your boss. And if you are working for the king, that means you're going to do the very best job you can possibly do. You are not going to shortchange it. You are going to work hard. And if they ask you, why is it that you are working so, why is it that you go the extra mile, you are to tell them, because I am serving my God. That's how you do it. I know it can be tough. I worked at a law firm where I was a, what's called a senior associate, and I had a junior partner that I reported to, and he and I worked together, and he was a raging alcoholic, and I was always getting his bacon out of the fire, constantly. And it's tough, but we do it for God, not for the paycheck, not for ourselves, not for them. How do you do this? There's a quote in your bulletin from a great book by Tim Keller, Every Good Endeavor, Connecting Your Work to God's Work. And he says, this is the mindset you have to have. And, and if you have to clip this off, if you have to take this and put this somewhere where you see it every morning, where you, you see it in your mirror or whatever, then so be it. Tim Keller writes, instead of working out of the false passion of selfishness, you are working out of true passion, which is born of selflessness. 
You are adopted into God's family, so you already have affirmation. You don't need affirmation through work. You are justified in God's sight, so you have nothing to prove. You have been saved through a dying sacrifice, so you are free to be a living one. You are loved ceaselessly, so you can work tirelessly in response to a quiet inner fullness. That's what we're all after. That's how you make a kingdom impact inside of God's creation, and it is God's creation. He made it. It belongs to him. He's coming back for it to reign directly over it. And by the way, our work, our art, all those things we do, do not stop when Jesus comes back. Those of you who come here regularly have heard me say this before. I'm going to say it again in case you didn't listen or you were nodding off. The idea that you go to heaven and you sit on a cloud in a diaper with a halo and a harp is not biblical. That does not come from the Bible. That comes from Tom and Jerry. The Bible is very clear that our ultimate destination is a new heavens and new earth where we will have perfect physical bodies like Jesus had after the resurrection. And as Randy Alcorn in his wonderful popular book, Heaven, and N.T. Wright in his more complicated book on, on, on heaven has pointed out, in a new physical, new heavens and new earth, just like the Garden of Eden, there's going to be work to do. The perfection will not be a static perfect. Sin will not be there, but there will still be stuff to do. We will still eat. We will have bodies like Jesus. What did Jesus do after he was resurrected? Got anything to eat? He ate with them. We will still eat. We will still do things. We will still make art. We will still have jobs. We will still have things to do in this new heavens and new earth with these physical bodies. God gave us this thing. Go and create. Like God, we are to create. Go. Do. Don't just sit and wait. Go and do. And so that's what we are to do. We should be making good movies. We should be writing good books. We should be making good music. And right now, most Christians don't. I'm sorry. They just don't. You know how you know if it's good? If non-Christians go, oh man, that's good. What's that? I, I got to hear that. I got to have that. But that doesn't happen. I'm sorry. As much as I like the movie God's Not Dead, it was a good movie. Most non-Christians were not rushing to see it. It was Christians in those theaters. And it's been, you say, well, Matt, that can't be done. There's sinners. That, oh, yes, it can. I was reading the other day an a, a interview with an atheist actor, and they asked him what his favorite book is. He said, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Why? Because a Christian, C.S. Lewis, wrote such a good book that non-Christians wanted to read it. Give you another one. Christian by the name of J.R.R. Tolkien wrote these books called The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. By the way, The Lord of the Rings story is also the Jesus story. The true king goes through the land of death for three days and emerges on the other side to lead his armies. Where did he get that from? We need to make great art. We need to be involved in politics graciously. And we haven't always done that, that's for sure. We need to conduct business like the folks at Chick-fil-A do. 
Or we just need to be plumbers, ditch diggers, whatever, who work harder than anyone else and give glory to God for it. Because that's what our king wants in this creation. Your Christianity does not stop in these four walls. It goes with you everywhere. It defines you and it defines everything you should do, or it should. I'm not saying I don't struggle with it, too. I do, every day. It was really tough to be a Christian lawyer. No, it's not an oxymoron. It's really tough to be a Christian anything. But God didn't promise us that. But he did promise to save us from hell and bring him to himself. And that's enough. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this time. I hope and pray that I've, what I've said is true. If it is not true, may it fall on deaf ears. If it is, may it dwell deep within our hearts. May we honor and glorify you in every facet of our life, in our work, in our art, when we vote, what we do with our money, all of it. All of it for you because you are our king. You are a good king who died for us, but we are nothing but servants. May we see ourselves as servants. May we work as servants without expecting anything in return but what we've already been given, which is more than we ever deserved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.